Shannon and Lava. Oh. Well, welcome to the uh, fourth installment of the heaviest song in the world, and welcome to hell. <laughs> My name is Seth. I'm Ryan. I'm the meathead. He's the genius. Anyway, so today we're tackling, uh, what is it? 19- 80 to 84. 80 to 84. This is the episode we've all been waiting for. This is like in the song we just heard. The dam is starting to burst, yep. and the water is flowing. The doors have been blown off the jams. Today we're going to be talking about the riddle of steel. <laughs> I, be- I almost brought that. I mean, we can get it. Uh, we're going to be talking about Thatcher's England and Reagan's USA. We're going to be talking about Newcastle upon Tyne and Stoke on Trent. More <laughs> on that later. Uh, starting off, though, I just want to cover a couple of things we missed last week. Uh, not really missed. Uh, you did mention uh, Black Flag's Nervous Breakdown, yep. uh, which came out in 79. But I just thought uh, I looked up this and saw this. Actually, what is considered the first hardcore release was by a band called The Middle Class out of Vogue EP. It's a four-track EP. That was... Here's the funny thing is it was released in the first half of January of 79. Nervous Breakdown was released in the second half of January of 79. So it just beat Beat it it to market. Yeah. I'm not trying to be pedantic, but I just thought I should mention that. In fact, I brought a little sample just so you can see. I mean, this is pretty impressive for 79. It's just as far as uh, heaviness and, uh, you know, pounding in your face. But this song's called Insurgents. Just listen to it. Well, the song's probably 30 seconds long. That guy's making the most of them three chords. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get it, though. It's 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 pretty rough. You know, you wouldn't expect that necessarily out of 79, but you can definitely see where music is starting to evolve as a result of uh, metal coming into its own and punk coming into its yeah. own. And then basically, as we uh, mentioned last week, to close off with Motorhead kind of combining the two, well, it kind of just set the stage for crushing and grinding. Yeah, exactly. Black leather and studs, all that shit. So, uh, first of all, before we say anything and start with our picks, I just want to apologize to Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Scorpions, Nawabam in general, because not really going to be talking about you guys anymore. Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, the, I mean we'll, we'll throw you some bones. But. We, we, we talked about it in the last episode. This is, you know, this is going to be a seriously transitional period. And last episode began the transition. In this one, it's in full swing. Like, it's, it's fucking... Hardcore punk rock, and then the evolution of metal getting dirtier, getting grimier. Exactly, and I mean, and it's uh, just the last bastion before, because by default, I guess you would say this is a heavy metal podcast. Yeah, but it does not necessarily. It's not necessarily has to be. Yeah, and I mean that won't come till a few years later. Right now, we're going to be concentrating on metal pretty much, but. Well, except for maybe me one one song this episode. One song this episode. All right, bring the noise. All right, well. So we started off 1980. We got some Reagan coming in. We do. Uh, before we, got we, Thatcher, who's before there we get into before. our 80, um, we have another listener submission. This is uh, our friend Amy again. Uh, she it's actually wanted her us. last name again. Yep, Amy again. Um, she suggested for this episode a song by Rocky Erickson. He's the guy from uh, 13th, 13th Floor, Floor Elevators. Elevators. Uh, this is him uh, from 1980 with his band Rocky and the Aliens. This is Two Headed Dog.
I don't get it. <laughs> I, it I, I don't think Rocky Erickson gets it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he he's not known for his stability. Yeah, but uh, I mean, that, that that's a good song. It's it's a great psychedelic blues song. But you know, maybe in nineteen in our in our nineteen sixty five episode, that's going to pass muster for the heaviest song in the world. But oh, yeah. f- from here on out, going forward. You're going to be hard-pressed so to top some of our picks. I, I kind of see where she would be going with it, though, just as far as uh, it seems like the vocals are kind of just throwing caution to the wind. Oh, yeah. And just and that's going to be a theme we're going to see as this era starts to open, too, is just people being a lot more blatant with their lyrics. You're going to see fuck in songs <laughs> a lot more. I mean, before then, people weren't really throwing F-bombs around too much in songs, and now we're going to hear it a lot. Yeah. And a lot of other visceral descriptions and 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 there's going to be a lot of songs where it to to me i'm an instrumental kind of person like i i love instrumental bands there 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 are multiple songs in this episode where i'm just like if you took the vocalist out of this it would probably be better yeah but i kind of feel like that's cheating yeah some way it's kind of half because i I don't know you you want that element to uh add to it even more i feel i I mean i get it you know but for, for someone like myself who does not give a shit about what the lyrical content of a song is. It, it does not matter to me in the slightest. The The vocals are just another instrument, and so if it's taken out, it's like this band doesn't have a keyboard. Oh, thanks this a band lot, doesn't have a singer. Lyrical content is going to be a big part of my episode <laughs> Well, today, that's, that's that's why we're hosting this together, because exactly. we're so different. Yeah, the yins and the yangs. All right, so it's 1980. Uh, uh, real quick, uh, just go over some bands that formed in 1980, just okay. to give you a, uh, a feel for the era we got... And, Formed in 1980, we got Minor Threat, Man of War, Metal Church, Poison Idea. Uh, also, I discovered this band from Germany, who they're a thrash band. Um, Holy Moses, you ever heard of them? I haven't. So, apparently they released a five-track demo in 1980. I searched and scoured the <laughs> internet for this. It, it's nowhere to be found. I'm telling you, you got to get on the message boards and you got to start sending I, random no, messages I, to 50 year old thrash dudes. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that too, but I didn't really have time that day. I only had 10 hours or so to do nothing, so I couldn't get involved with all that. But the reason I wanted to find it so badly is because I listened to some of their demos from '82, and I think '82 was the earliest, and it's it's pretty rocking. But as I'm about to talk about, something had already happened. Yeah. As far as putting the drive in that kind of music. But the reason I wanted to look it up so badly and listen to it is because the name of it is Black Metal Masters. Nice. Are they so, black guys? Is that they, is that the original In Living Color? No. Or Living Color, rather? You son of a bitch. <laughs> I was just about to ask you, what's your favorite black metal band? Uh, but that's just kind of stealing a joke from an anal cunt album. Yeah. But, um... There, yeah. there, the, the anal cunt has a shirt that is one of the few that don't say anal cunt on it, but it, it says my favorite black metal band, and on the back is a picture of that Living Color album. Uh, Cult of Personality. Stain was the name of that album, okay. wasn't it? Uh, but anyway, it was called Black Metal Masters, and that is two years before the Venom song Black Metal was released, and that's what kind of is, you know, is what we know is responsible for naming genres. And, but we'll get into that in a yep, minute. Yep. But it's just, I, I just really wanted to find it just because that was the name of it and see what it had. But I don't know. So if anybody knows where to find uh, Holy Moses' Black Metal Masters. No, I'll, I'll, I'll take that home as homework. I'll do, I'll do some blog right, spot do, scouring. Do what you can, yeah. Yeah, set up some spies in the Middle East. <laughs> uh, no, female fronted, by Black the way. Black Metal Sleeper Cells. Female fronted no from 82 shit. on, oh, or 81 okay. or 82 on, but on that demo it was a male singer. All right. Uh, so, uh, you know, all right. 
So you want me to go first? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I got some honorable mentions for 80. You know, you, you talked about some bands that formed there. I've got some giant bands that released some very famous albums. You don't say. Um, this is ACDC's Back in Black. That's the uh, album mm-hmm. after Bon Scott died, their debut with Brian Johnson. Didn't didn't skip a beat. Every song on that record is a hit pretty much. They're all recognizable. Some people say we've made the same album 13 times. I say no. We've made the same album 16 times. <laughs> Angus Young. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't know why I gave Angus Young a Liverpool <laughs> accent. But. Um, Judas Priest, British Steel. Uh, maybe, I've heard that a time or two. May, maybe their most critically praised album. As far as probably. I know, yeah. I would say the three previous are probably a little better. Yeah. But, you um, know. Motorhead's Ace of Spades, definitely uh, their most famous release. All killer, no filler. And, I mean, as a Motorhead fan, I'll say it's probably just their best album, yep. too. Uh, the debut of Iron Maidens, their self-titled release uh, with Paul Diano on also vocals. great. And uh, mentioned several times before, but this is the release of Heaven and Hell, Black Sabbath's debut with Dio. Ah. Oh no! Here it comes again. All right, sorry, go. On. But uh, so onto my pick for 1980, oh. and this is where you know I said before, not every song is going to be heavy metal. Um, I know it's it's probably weird, and probably disqualifiable if if you if it were up to you, but I've chosen a synthesizer song. No, that's fair. As, as my heaviest song in the world for 1980. Um, is it Throbbing Gristle? It's not Throbbing Gristle. Is it White House? Um, this this is a track that, for me, going forward, you know, the, the last three episodes were sort of explorational for me because even though there was the Black Sabbath episode, but there was a lot of stuff in the 65 to 69 and even some stuff in the 75 to 79 that I was finding, you know, for the first time. And from here on out... The music that I'm going to select is everything that my metal tastes have come to, you know, describe over the years. And this song, while not being a metal song, it doesn't even have guitars in it, it still sets the blueprint. Ominous, foreboding, menacing. Like when I it, said, by default, yeah. we are a metal show. It's when, not necessarily a metal show. There, there's a famous quote about pornography. I know it when I see it. Well, when it comes to heavy music, I know it when I hear it. This is the opening track to the film Zombie 2. Oh, here this we is, go. This is Fabio Fritzi's score to Zombie 2. I should have known. The boat can leave now. Tell the crew. Yeah, like I said, no crushing guitar. The drum track is just basically, you know, a, a metronome drum machine. But that song is scary. That song is heavy. 
It it is yeah. It's a little deeper for a soundtrack than probably what you're used to at that yeah. point. Because I mean, you got to figure take a classic like something like The Exorcist. Like mm-hmm. the soundtrack has nothing on that. Yeah, it's just, it's just like orchestral stings, and then that one section lifted from uh, that rock opera. Because if, if anyone's ever listened to the whole of Tubular Bells, it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a glam disco thing. Yeah. It's like thirty or forty five minutes yeah. too, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, I just want to say that was sweet of you, too, for playing that. Because, I mean, you know with my pick, you know, we got we got about to get blown <laughs> out of the water. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I've been meaning to take a vacation out to the West Coast for a long time. And I almost pulled the trigger last year because for uh, Beyond Fest, Fabio Fritzi played the score to Lucio Fulci's The Beyond live at a screening in L.A. last year. And that would have been fucking incredible. Well, I mean, you should. It's a good thing you didn't go because you would have been poking everyone with your heart on. <laughs> but uh, so that, yeah, that was my 1980 Fabio Fritzi score to Zombie Two. Fabio Fritzi score to Zombie Two. All right. Well, here we are at 1980 for my pick. <clears throat> for my pick, this band was formed in Stoke on Trent in 1977 by Tez Roberts and Rainy Wainwright. Rainy was his real name. It was just a. Uh, a pun on his last name. But uh, they were just kind of, at that point, just like a Pistols-inspired, regular old punk band. And then in 79, their lineup and stylistically... Uh, the they lineup changed and they stylistically changed. And I'm going to go ahead and assume it was probably after the release of Overkill. <laughs> I, uh, call me crazy. Like I said, uh, as we closed off last episode, I said that Overkill, in my opinion, is kind of a way of saying goodbye to the 70s yeah. and just the state of heavy music in that time. And so that being said, I feel like this song is kind of what opened the door to the eighties. If that was goodbye, this was hello. And, uh, this song was recorded in February, 1980. It was released in April of 1980 on clay records, which Mike stone, the owner of clay records and founder, he started a record label just to put this band out. Uh, this four track EP, it peaked at number five, on the UK indie charts, and it spent 44 weeks there. This is Discharge, Realities of War. And we're going to listen to the whole fucking song, because it's a goddamn minute six. Well, tell me you've ever heard a fucking song that heavy before 1980. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what can I say about Discharge? They get the credit, but they don't get the credit at the same time. Uh, before I get into that, though, I think a big part of like what uh, that ominous feeling of their music is one of their big themes, and their biggest theme was as far as 
what you so hate with the lyrical yeah. content. It's, I don't hate it. I just I don't know. care. No, yeah. But uh, their big theme was, you know, it was the 80s. It was the peak of the Cold War and nuclear war. Yeah. Just every other song is about that. And we talked about this earlier or a few episodes ago with Sabbath is how you use the imagery of, say, nuclear war or just war in general to present yourself in kind of that body, but while being anti-war. Exactly. You're, you're showing it as like, this is terrifying. Listen to this. Look at this. Look at how awful this is. Be against it. But still, but while quietly being like, you know we're selling it yeah. because it looks cool. Because, it, you know, <clears throat> it's they're like the soundtrack to Armageddon. Uh, all their album covers or EP covers, they're all in just these shitty black and white pictures that just look morose and just uh, sad, I guess you could say. Uh, I think a big impact on them was the uh, 1965 Peter Watkins mockumentary, The War Game. I don't know if you've ever seen or heard about that, but it was uh, the first, I think it was like one of the first mockumentaries where it was just a documentary done in style. You know, it was scripted yeah. and had actors in it, but it was meant to look Yeah, that, like that, pre- actual... that predates Spinal Tap. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, like I said, Peter Watkins, he had another one called Culloden about a Scottish and English battle. But anyway, um, but uh, they use a few sound clips from that, and I think if you ever watch that, it just totally fucks with you as far as just like, wow, that's what it would be like, you know, if a nuclear war were to occur in a first world country. And so they just use a lot of the imagery. Like I said, use a few sound clips. But um, So yeah, I guess you could say if Motorhead was a mixture of Black Sabbath and the Ramones, Discharge was a mixture of the Ramones and Motorhead. I would say Discharge is a mixture of Motorhead and like a table saw. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, and like I said, they get the credit, Metallica covered them on Garage Inc., and okay. I think in two different versions, the one that they re, uh, re-released with that, that they did in the 80s, they did uh, a couple songs, but still, I just don't feel like the monumental, like, they basically laid the first stone in what would become extreme metal, mm-hmm. I think, that because that song, it just, it opened up so many doors, and I kind of want to prove it, because like I said, that went to number five on the UK indie charts, and that was in April of 1980. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you my next pick is going to be a Venom song. Okay. But Venom, um, they recorded a demo in the same month that that album was released. So like I said, whether it's a metal band or a punk band in the same circles, I'm pretty sure people in other bands all around the country heard that record. If it went to number five on the independent charts and you're in an up-and-coming band, you're checking out stuff on that. So Venom is a band who generally gets all the credit as far as laying the groundwork for extreme metal, you know, thrash, black. And if you're you're a metal fan in any way, you've seen Venom's logo, you've seen their albums. Oh, we'll get to that in a minute, too. All right, so I just want to play from Venom's 1980 demo recorded in April, the same month that Discharge's Reality of War came out. Which, by the way, four songs, total runtime, four minutes, 50 seconds. Nice. <clears throat> but anyway, this is the song Angel Dust from Venom's 1980 demo. Cause I'm 
All right. So like I said, recorded and released in the same month that <clears throat> Realities of War came out. So let that stew for a few months. Now, this is Angel Dust when it was released on Venom's 1981 debut, Welcome to Hell. Are you going to tell me the fucking that discharge song did not influence that song into turning to that Absolutely. at all? The the only the only other explanation for it is their drummer just can't keep tempo so they're like play it as fast as you can and we'll fix it. Well, you know, funny you should mention their drummer. <laughs> uh, cuz discharge if you don't if if you're familiar with your subgenres, they invented D-beat, mm-hmm. which D-beat um, <clears throat> is of course a it's a I think traditionally it's 150 beats per minute. Your blast beat is like uh, 350, yeah. 306, about double that. But it's like, say, all right, for example, like previously the fastest beat, I guess, you'd, you'd have like the Motorhead snare hit, which was more like a... And then Discharge, what they introduced was kind of what would be like the cornerstone of thrash drumming, which was just the... And you'll hear that in a thousand thrash albums that came out over the next four years. So... Uh, you know, the second wave of British heavy, uh, I'm sorry, the second wave of British punk, usually known as UK82, thanks to an exploited song of the same name. And the exploited usually get all the credit for starting that, but just the way I see it is just Discharge. I mean, the exploited had an album released in 79, I think, maybe a single. But just what Discharge did to music in general with that one EP. And then they released three more that year. And, uh, well, you know, of course, the next day. But it's like, uh, Venom is the soundtrack to hell, then Discharge is the soundtrack to what got you, got you there. So, I don't know. I just think that that song right there is just kind of what changed everything. And people were yeah, like, absolutely. look what they're doing. All right, let's step it up a notch. And that's what we're going to be talking about this episode, too, at least with some of my picks. It's just everybody just trying to outdo each other for the well, next four I, years or so. For, for my picks as well, only in the opposite direction. Instead of let's kick it up a notch, it's slow it down another notch. <laughs> But uh, I mean, and, and to you know, to talk more about Venom and and just their mark on heavy metal, there was uh, it was like ten years ago. But Dave Grohl put out that album that he called Probot, Probot which yeah. was it was his band, but it was all these different you know famous metal mm-hmm. vocalists. And Kronos from from Venom yeah. did a couple tracks on there, and they were great. And if you if you look up any live Venom performances on YouTube, if Rob Halford brought Leather Daddy into metal music then Kronos fucking up the ante because he looks like a bodybuilder and he's wearing, like, the Lord Humongous outfit from Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and some of these more recent ones, too, which I'm going to bring up later, actually. But uh, he, he does not give a shit that he's going bald. Because he always kind of had a high hairline. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, and now but he just he fools you with it because it's just this long hair and it's like, oh, he's just got a, he's just got a five head. And it's like, no, he's bald. <laughs> Well, f- full respect to him because yeah. I have a five head, so I shave my head. Yeah, I mean, good for him. You, you know, I just noticed something. You're wearing a discharge shirt, and you played a discharge song, and I'm wearing a zombie shirt, and that that's unintentional. This is the shirt I, I oh, woke I, up I, in. Oh, you know, you saw me. We got home, and I was like, <laughs> I had to put my discharge <laughs> yeah, shirt the, on the, for this episode. I, I, I woke up in my zombie shirt, so I, I, I didn't even realize that. 
This is a good one to sleep in. I've had this since I was 17, and it's broken in and so comfy now. Minimal armpit holes. <laughs> it's the mark of a, a true warrior shirt. Yeah, exactly, because most of mine from that era are just, they're basically sleeveless now. The armpit holes are so big. All right, you want to move on to 81? All right, so... Uh, was, oh, yeah, we got to... I... Come on. What? Come on. Is there even a discussion? You, you had a creepy movie soundtrack. I had a song that revolutionized All right, music. I'll, I'll give you Discharge, because as a matter of fact, I even told you I have Discharge written down here as like, min, make sure to mention Discharge. Yeah. So I'll give you Discharge. You, you, you win 80. Yeah, and uh, one thing to talk about, um, before I was telling you earlier how before we record this episode, I didn't want to watch the lost episode of, uh, of Metal, Metal Evolution. Evolution because I was hoping I didn't rip off a bunch of stuff. And then... Um, so I, I finally watched it, and luckily we got different points to cash in on. But and no one's just like you know, a couple people are like you know we listen to bands like Discharge, blah blah blah, and that's all they say, and that's and I mean I don't know. I guess I'm bitter. I mean they get their due. People yeah. know who they like. I guess musicians respect who, what they did, of course. Uh, and but you, maybe the average fan doesn't. But you also have to think about like I mean I, yeah they didn't go into it, but how many times is fucking discharge going to get mentioned on vh1 which is where that show oh yeah originated yeah, so good point vh1 classic even mentioning discharge that's that's a, that's a feather in the cap i get it i i so it was uh was was that venom trap was that your 81 oh no not by any means <laughs> all right well then uh did, did you I want mean, to play your 81 then and we'll you want, we'll you want me to start oh uh, yeah well all right so getting into 1981 a uh, few things i'll mention we were talking about hardcore the last uh time which obviously was important as far as Everybody, you know, creating subgenres and whatnot. Uh, 81 was released of uh, DOA from Vancouver. Mm -hmm. the, uh, their Hardcore 81 album was the first album to have hardcore in the title. So, I don't know. Even, even though we said the first one was technically 79. I don't know why I just did the quotes <laughs> thing to you because <laughs> nobody can see me. it. Yeah, just let everybody know. Um, but I guess if that, that gave it an official title. Let's see. So we got, all right, bands formed in 81. Here okay. we go. Listen to this. And it's probably because they listened to that Discharge record. If I, if I had to guess. But we got Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, Motley Crue, Napalm Death. Napalm Death. Didn't put it on an album for six years, though. Merciful Fate, Suicidal Tendencies, Sodom, Pantera, believe it or mm -hmm. not. Uh, and I was, uh, although they formed in 80, this was also the um, debut release for uh, GBHs. Yes. Uh, leather, bristles, le leather Bristles, Studs and Acne, which... GBH, another great hardcore punk band, English hardcore punk band that basically towed the line through metal, and like a lot of those bands, became a metal band in the later yeah. '80s. But well, that uh, was the thing about the Exploited; like they became like a straight-ahead thrash band in the '90s. Yeah, they? yeah. Oh, Beat the Bastards is a brutal album. Yeah. Uh, all right, so mine. Uh, well, hey, uh, oh. More honorable mentions. You know, you oh, you're talking oh, I'm about sorry. The, yeah, the, yeah. Go the ahead. Formations, but we have some some huge records that come out that year. D Priest again, uh, Point of Entry, Iron Maiden again, The Killers, Black Sabbath again with Dio, Mob Rules. Did you just say The Killers? <laughs> killers. Kill. Yeah. Pardon me, Brad, Brandon uh, Flowers has no part in this. <laughs> um, Motley Crue's first record, Too Fast for Love. Because I'm alive. And our intro song today. The, the the song that kind of inspires a lot of what we're going to talk about, Saxon's Denim and Leather. I mean, just what a what a concise like song as yeah. far as just coming out blatantly, you know, just 
talking about the scene and the way it was and oh, just you, how just, exciting it we, was to be a part of we it. We were discussing what could what, what I needed to cut up to make to make the intro and you like I could feel the energy in the text that you sent me. Denim and leather. Yeah. How did we miss this? Like this, I you know, for those of you who don't know us, this song has kind of not been an inside joke between yeah. us, but it's always a go-to reference point oh, of course. for us. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, if any, I'm if I'm anywhere near a bar jukebox, denim and leather's getting played. Yeah. And just the, the the lyrical content of that song, I know you hate it, but <laughs> but um, it's just anyone. I hope who, the takeaway of this whole thing is that I hate lyrics. I hope so too. I I hope you get hate mail. Do we have an email address yet? <laughs> we do, we don't. As a matter of fact, I hate lyrics so much I don't even read books. I buy books, look at them, and then throw them away. Nice. <laughs> I hate higher learning too. Uh, <laughs> What, what was I going to say? Oh, you're, you're still talking about Saxon. Oh, yeah, Saxon. It's just, uh, yeah, and just not to get too sentimental and nostalgic, but anyone who's ever been a part or just experienced, like, a local music scene, it's like you listen to that song, and it's kind of like the story of your life. Yeah. So, uh, great song, just kind of, it's so silly. I mean, do, Saxon. Do you think, though, band. that there was some, some danger in what they were talking about? Because in the years following that song, you know, the whole denim and leather look became the uniform for metal, and it also became like the calling card for violence at shows. You know, metalheads trying to stomp out punkers and vice versa. Yeah, wearing the spike gauntlets yeah. and whatnot against the spike bracelets. Yeah, wow. I don't think I never they thought had, of it like yeah, that. I don't. I don't. Th- I, I was, you know, again researching like this kind about of the stuff. Rock and roll I was, riots. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was. I was watching the Metal Evolution Thrash episode, and and you just hear these guys talking about how much they hate punk rock, and you know uh, how. How many times they got their asses kicked at a show for wearing denim as opposed to leather? <laughs> it's funny how, like, you know, looking back as far as the fashion trends of both genres, like, they're interchangeable, really. Yeah. Like, you know, you look at... It's usually the only way to tell the difference is spiked hair or long hair. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and I, I'll i never understand that dynamic of metalheads hating punk where... I just proved... Well, I mean, you'll, you, you don't understand it now that you're an adult, but, yeah. I mean, we, we both went into it. I mean... How, how many arguments did we get into in, in the early years of our friendship well, because I was a metal guy and you were a punk guy? Yeah, well, and it's funny just to, not to go back to Discharge, but I'm gonna. But just like my 16 or 17-year-old self listening to Discharge, I just hear fast drums and shitty guitars. Oh, yeah. And I don't realize, though, at the time, like I don't – you don't have the mindset of the past that as, you know, as you get older and obtain more knowledge and your history straight, especially when you're into music – you just don't put it together of like how monumental it was and what something like that would do. And just to look back on it now, when, you know, to be put in the situation we are right now doing this show, to actually look back and go through all the bullshit minutiae of what happened first. And then I, you know, I kind of knew, but just I had to prove it to myself. Oh, yeah. So doing it. And so just knowing that now, it's like, wow. There, you gonna, don't even realize it as a kid how important exactly, shit there, you listen to is. There's going to be some confrontational moments, me with myself, as we go deeper into this and we get into, you know, the 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 black and progressive metal scene to the late 90s. Just like, what an asshole I was in 1997 <laughs> talking about metal. Oh, God. Oh, well, well, when we get to the 90s, yeah, I guess I'll have to do the same for myself. Yeah. But, uh, all right, so, so 1981. All right, so I guess if I had an... Uh, oh, I should mention, uh, this was the debut of the Verrukers, and also an English band, uh, Protest to Survive EP, or it was a, I think, can't remember if it was a single or an EP, but Verrukers are generally considered um, the first D-beat band. Okay. 
And uh, actually, now the lead singer, Rat, he currently is the singer for Discharge. All right. I think he does double duty with both, because, you know, in the late 90s, all those punk all, bands. It's all incestuous. Yeah, well, I'm just, yeah, they all just reformed, too, because it caught popularity again, because the Casualties had uh, colorful album covers. True. But, um, so yeah, first DB band protest to survive from the Verrukers. Check that out. It's rocking. Uh, Discharge. <clears throat> They released a, a few this year. They had the uh, let's see, they had the Never Again EP released in early '81. Cover, great cover. Of course, it's black and white. It's got a picture of a dove on a bayonet. I don't think there's any uh, symbology there, though. I think that just must be a gruesome picture. Uh, and then the Y 10-inch EP, and it's funny. A ten, I mean, I'm sorry, a 10-track EP. It might have been a 10-inch though. Could have been. Uh, but yeah, that's Discharge for you. They released a 10-song EP. Well, I mean, that that's that's sort of. I'm you sure know, that's about seven minutes. But that, that that's a thing about that kind of underground music at the time is the only, the reason they're releasing three EPs is because it's just cheaper to make smaller albums. So even though they probably had 50-minute-long songs, they could have put out a full length. They don't have enough money to press all these 12-inch LPs. Don't worry, they do eventually. <laughs> all right, but... Uh, Band we talked about earlier, uh, formed in Newcastle upon time in 1979 or 80. It's so confusing. They formed from like a thousand other bands without 62 lineup changes. But they narrowed down to a four-piece for the demo, then a three-piece that we knew great as Kronos, Abaddon, and Mantis, called in the press a trio of buffoons. Is that is that how you pronounce that? Because I've always said Abaddon. Is it Abaddon? I don't know. I've always I've thought al- Abaddon. I've always said Abaddon, but I think it might be because I came to Venom already knowing immortal and that guy's name is a bath so uh, i just I, I use the same i don't know to me just abaddon sounds more biblical and esoteric uh, uh just venom yeah with their release of their 1981 album like i said after listening to discharge of course uh they kind of just changed the game and just brought all the extremes as possible they could i mean obviously we know they use the satanic imagery that's what they're most well known for yeah. and it's great because you know, you look at them, they're just three English, like, pub rocking guys. You know, they're drunks, they're they're silly, they're idiots, they're meatheads. But you just realize the time, especially in the 80s, when Christianity was coming back strong. And, you know, like I said, Thatcher's England, Reagan's America. Okay, so, so I guess, what what classification would these guys have gotten at the time? Because we can, we can look back and go, well, obviously this is a thrash release, and obviously this is a, you know, this and that. But at the time... Thra- I think, there's no thrash metal. I think moniker. they're generally just considered new wave of British heavy metal. That's crazy. I know. Well, I mean, I mean, you got to figure cr- you you put you put early Venom up against because you know, like Saxon. Th- th- this is the same year as Point of Entry from Judas Priest. You played them side by side. You played them side by side with Venom and Leather. Those are separate genres yeah, of music. Exactly. Well, it's like I remember you saying a few years ago we were talking about it. He's like, er, he's like, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> you were saying, you know. Years after I first heard Iron Maiden compared to the other metal I heard, I listened to it, and I said, that's a goddamn pop song. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of the same way. Just, yeah, I, I don't know how else to explain it, yeah. but, I mean, technically they are Nawabum, but they just kind of took it to another level. But uh, as far as their imagery and their pseudo-satanicness, um, here's a great quote from Kronos about Ozzy. Because, and uh, I think he said that... Um, he felt the need to outdo him, which, as we're going to be talking about, outdoing is going to be a big part of this episode. So he's, he said that Ozzy would always sing about evil things and dark figures, 
and then spoil it all by going, oh, no, no, please, God, help me. <laughs> and it's so right because, you know, I let me to speak for a second, oh, but please. just with a lot of yes. those Sabbath songs, it's like, yeah, yeah. And then something like that does come up, like, as you have this heavy-ass song, you know, Master Reality, which we talked about, how what a blistering album that was. And then, yeah, you're defending the Catholic Church, basically, with that song. I... I'm I'm literally getting offended on 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 behalf of my favorite band. Good. I, I I would say that in to defend Ozzy Bring Osbourne the venom at you. to defend Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath using the imagery and using the message and all that stuff. They're sing they're the point of view of their songs, especially the 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 song quoted by him, especially the song Black Sabbath. The point of view of the song is someone who is terrified of the darkness. They're singing at the darkness. They're not singing from the darkness. They're singing at the darkness. Hey, darkness, you don't scare me no more. <laughs> hey, darkness, you want to fight? Uh, <laughs> I have no idea why I felt so compelled to defend Ozzy Osbourne's 1970 lyrics. It's okay. Um, you but know, fuck you, I, Kronos. Yeah. All right. Uh, so anyway, my pick for 1981, uh, like I said, I guess it's going to be Venom. Uh, I would say, like I said before, if Motorhead was Black Sabbath with the Ramones and then Discharge was Motorhead and the Ramones, then Venom was Discharge and Motorhead. <laughs> Basically, with uh, I, don't know, I guess a little Black Sabbath lyrics, except you know, except for that whole juxtaposition we yeah. just talked about. Oh no, God, don't help me! But uh, welcome to hell. It was recorded in August '81. It was released in December of '81, so just barely made it. I mean, come on, the album cover is a fucking goat's head on a pentagram. But so was Witch Fiend's 1980 album, "Give 'Em Hell." <laughs> so that's uh, funny, is a. Uh, you know, for that and black metal, the cover is a goat's head on a pentagram. But if you look up, uh, who did I just say? Witch Fiend. I think it's Witch Fiend. W-I-T-C-H-F-Y-N-D-E-S. Uh, their 1980 album, Give Them Hell, which that's, they're just a standard new album band. Yeah. You know, they just got, it's a good album. They got some rocking songs, but it's not nearly anything as to what uh, Venom did. So anyway, here's my pick for 1981. Guess what? It's the opening track on the album because they know what to do. They know how to sell it. This song, I mean, hell, listen to the fucking title. This is Sons of Satan. definitely the Lemmy side of New Album vocals. Yeah. Uh, well, because that don't sound like Halford. That don't sound like Dickinson. No. And I mean that, and I mean that kind of is uh, like the first, in, you know, that is the seed planted in what would become the death growl too. Because, and also I should go back and mention that, uh, you know, Discharge is stylist singing too, where it was also just, hey, we can just yell. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically barking. Yeah. Exactly. It's rhythmic, like, well, rhythmic for, for example, Discharge, uh, they wanted theirs to sound like a political speech or a political yep. rally. So it was just like yelling facts at you and it's up. And then, you know, Venom took it a step further by putting that Arr! in it. And it just, yeah, it sounds demonic. It sounds, it's growling at you. Um, avant-garde nuances from that song, if I do mention. Now, as we always have to say before we give these kind of facts, by no means do I think this is the absolute first of any of these mm-hmm. examples. I just want to say maybe they weren't so popular at the time, but this song did have it. We got 
poor production quality, which we know would go on to be a staple of black metal. And yeah, listen to that song. They sound like they just don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that album that album was recorded in a very short amount of time for very cheap. I think yeah, I think there was like some kind of stipulation where they had to do it as quickly as possible and on as little amount of money Those as possible. Those ironclad contracts back in the day. Oh yeah. But um so poor production quality to say the very fucking least. Mediocre musicianship. Venom was never known nope. as being great musicians, but they didn't have to be because it yeah. was like I said, they just had to outdo whatever the competition was in those days. Song has a breakdown in it. We didn't listen to it, but later on, there's a very, very metalcore. Little chugga chugga. Ah, eh, it's not. Well, actually, not like that. It's more of like actually, it's kind of funky because it's just like a boom pop and just a <laughs> So you didn't play it because <laughs> it would ruin how heavy it sounds. Exactly. Okay. But no, I mean it's still it sounds shitty though, so it's really heavy. Uh, uh, the song ends with just one of those like, bam, 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 you know, where just you're beating the shit out of the guitar. Not a lot of people were really doing it that much then. Uh, let's see, I already yeah talked about the sat- satanic imagery, yeah. but I mean that's probably the most important part is just dirtying up the music that much, and then on top of it, you're singing about. Say, oh yeah, well, like, and embracing it. it. Like yeah, I mean, like you're not just singing about it as it, it's something that exists. Yeah, you're saying yes. We this we, is what, we talked about this in previous. We are in episodes. league with Satan. The the first bands to do a thing are generally not labeled the thing. It's the bands that they inspired that are the thing. So black metal. Venom is not the first black metal band because they're you know classified as a new album and you know maybe on the the punkier side of crossover because of how fast they are. And, yeah, I mean, but, I think I think now would be thrash. Every black metal band that came after them in you know eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight, they're all they're like, all right, this is the blueprint. We sound like this. Yeah, which. Well, we'll talk. I know both of us will talk yeah. about an album that came out in '84. Yeah, we absolutely will. Uh, but um, yeah, oh shit, I lost well, my train of any, thought. Any more to say about Venom before I get to my '81? Oh, I, I just want to talk about Venom all day. <laughs> well, save that for your Venom podcast. I leave this equipment here. <laughs> hey guys, starting next week, we're gonna have Welcome to Venom. It's gonna be hosted by me. <laughs> it's just gonna be pictures of me kissing Kronos with lipstick. <laughs> I, I, I'll, right. I'll, I'll subscribe to that from uh, Tiger Skeleton Magazine. But uh, all right, all right so, go to your eighty-one. So, so my eighty-one pick again, more more new album because that is the dominant paradigm of metal at the time. Um, formed in Sturbridge, England, in nineteen seventy-nine by a bunch of friends who just love Black Sabbath, so they want to get together and write some tunes. Um, like I just mentioned, that's so seventy-one. Like I just mentioned, Venom isn't the first black metal band. But they inspired the whole genre. Witchfinder General isn't the first Doom band, but they definitely helped to inspire the genre of Doom that would come later. Um, you got to kind of feel bad for Witchfinder General because while they're, you know, maybe set of the proto and oh, yeah. uh, ultimate uh, Doom band as far as the early thing, it's like then Sabbath wins because Doom is named after Hand of Doom, yeah. and it's like, well, you're never going to have that so accolade, that, that, Witchfinder. That's something that, while, while researching this, I found so many sources that are like, yeah, Doom, the the, the Doom genre was named after Candlemass, and I'm like, Doom existed fucking before Candlemass. Obviously. Epic Doom, Candlemass, but the, the genre of Doom comes from so Hand that makes of Doom. it Epic Doom? You just put the Latin word for epic in your <laughs> album title? The, just, hey, Every, every for like the first six months, I heard that EDM was a thing. I'm just like, we're talking about Candlemas. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
But so so this is. Oh uh, man, real quick, can I tell you a funny story <laughs> please, from a few please, years yeah. ago? And this is a great this is a great metalhead or punk rock guy story. Is uh you know let's see like, I guess around the 2009 2010 and I kept hearing about this dubstep and I was like you know what I'll I'll research it I know I'm gonna hate it but I'll still research it and I look at the Wikipedia page and I'm just like I'll be fucked dubstep isn't a band <laughs> <laughs> like I just hey I'm sorry go on just wanted to share that absolutely but uh so yeah so Witchfinder General formed in '79 disbanded in '84 they only had two albums. They got back together in 2006 without their chief songwriter and lead vocalist, and that album is fucking terrible, so avoid it at all costs. That was going to be my first guess. But, uh, you know, their influence will be felt long after for these Naturally. first two records. This is not off their first record. Their first record comes next year, but this is the single that was released in 81. This is Witchfinder General, Burning a Sinner. <laughs> So yeah, Witchfinder General, Burning a Sinner. Um, I mean, it's it's absolutely not as aggressive as Venom. Not as aggressive as Discharge. It's not but, idealistically heavy. But they're they're turning things towards you know the occult and slowing down the rhythms of the songs. That that's what really pioneered the doom sound going forward is just you know taking blues songs taking blues scales and just playing them slow through heavy distortion and then singing about witches exactly it's uh the guitars speak volumes and they ain't light so i guess it's heavy yep and uh so yeah good pick uh good tune i I will i'll say this though i'll still give you venom as a heavier track than that all right because i mean it's near impossible to argue against Venom in, in terms of heaviness for fucking 1981. Yeah. So, let should we go to 82 yet? Are sure. we ready you want, for that? You want, you want me to start this time? Well, uh, let me just go over my little spiel. 82, we got, I just want to let, every year I'm going to go uh, some bands that formed that year just to show, once again, how everybody heard Discharge's Reality Award <laughs> and then went out and started a band oh, over I the next three years. Oh, I see what you've done. You've, you've created a template and now you're, fi- you're filling things out. Yeah. You're filling out your... Uh, your hardcore crossover brackets. It's not even crossover, man. It's just all the same. It's just people just want to put labels on it. Uh, Corrosion and Conformity formed in 82. We got Creator, Destruction, and Tankard with those three forming in 82 after the formation of Sodom in 90, 1981. Then it was uh, the f- big Teutonic Four of Thrash Metal yep. ki- thus came into existence. Uh, DRI formed as well as Possessed. 
uh, Merciful Fate released their self-titled EP, uh, their debut release. Uh, you know, the one where he goes, Satan! Satan! I wonder where he got that idea. Uh, GBH definitely came into their own with the City Baby Attack by Rats LP. If you never heard City Baby Attack by Rats, uh, just fucking listen to it. Just nonstop, start to finish. Great album. Uh, so this is when uh, Chaos Punk started to get popular, too. Some heavier UK 82 bands like Chaos UK, Disorder, Mau Mouse. I said the Verukers earlier, them, too. Uh, oh, and just so, just to cover it, let me just say the names of these five albums. For those of you who want to know about, once again, hardcore coming into its own, check out these. All right, these were all released in 1982, which kind of sum up the scenes of all these particular areas. We got This Is Boston, Not L.A., uh, Flex Your Head, that was D.C. Uh, the Big Apple, Rotten to the Core, that was uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. No, I'm just kidding, that was New York City. Uh, Not So Quiet on the Western Front, that was Northern California. And then American Youth Report, that was Southern California. But those are your basically your those prime... Are your big ex- compilations. Those are your big prime example compilations of did, hardcore from 1982. Did we mention back in 81 that that's when Damaged came out? That was, the, that was Rollins' debut? I don't debut think we did, yeah, Rollins' Black debut. Black. Uh, yeah, good album. Not my favorite. Yeah, and that it's another thing, you know, you, you mentioned the, the quote about Iron Maiden being a pop song when you compare it to everything else. If you go back and listen to that, that like, you know, go to a bar jukebox and put on TV party. And yeah. It sounds like the Ramones. You know, one thing, as much as I love this factor and all kinds of music, I will say about as far as contributing to the heaviness of a song, is being anthemic doesn't really help. Yeah. But it still comes in small doses. Um... For 1982, one of my honorable mentions is a movie. Okay. Don't give me that fucking No, I, I, I had a soundtrack from a movie as my song, so I'm... I'm yeah, well, guess what? It's the same fucking movie. This was the release of Conan the Barbarian. Okay. And directed by the great John Milius. Scored written, by Basil Polidorus. I was, was going to mention that. Written by Oliver Stone and starring... Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger. You know, uh, Basil Polidorus, this is... That soundtrack kind of like... Jumpstarted his career. I mean, oh, yeah. he'd already, but yeah, then, uh, who was it? Verhoeven was like, well, you're doing all my movies. Um, uh, but just basically, it started, it set the new standard for sword and sorcery movies. And, you know, of course, Lord of the Rings had been sung about in the 60s just as much yeah. as, you know, well, not just as much, but it, had, you know, obviously Zeppelin. Uh, band from, have you heard of, uh, Sirith Ungle? Yes. Ah. Listen to them. They're they're fucking awesome. Check out their 1980 album, Frost and Fire. And they're another band like The Exploited that kind of got a lot heavier as they went, and they became a thrash band. Oh, really? See, I didn't go that far. I just heard their 80s stuff, and it was... But they had been a band since, like, 72. But but, uh, Conan kind of just created a new image that applied to metal. um, (laughs) I don't think it's a coincidence that also... Well, yeah, it is, but... Also releasing this year is the debut album of Manowar. <laughs> Battle him. If anybody looks like... That's another denim a, and leather-like track with us, though. Manowar by Manowar. Oh, great song. <laughs> go check out Manowar by Manowar and just picture Arnold Schwarzenegger pushing the wheel of pain the yep. whole time. Actually, fast-forward it while you're doing it. And then, because, you know, it's not a slow song. But What's, uh, What's the bass player for the, uh, Joey DeMaio? Joey DeMaio. Yeah. You know, uh, I have a, you want to hear a funny Manowar sure. story, kind of? Um is a few years ago back at the the club The Social that mm-hmm. used to be open here in Myrtle Beach. Um uh who was it? The New York City Brain Surgeons played, which were kind of like an all-star band of sorts, but on a lower level. But uh their drummer and founder was Albert Bouchard, who was the drummer of uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Okay. And his wife was the rhythm guitar player and singer. 
But the lead guitar player was Ross the Boss of Manowar and Dictator's fame. He's the founding guitar player of Manowar. Nicest fucking guy I have ever met. And, like, he, he talked to uh, me and Perm. You guys don't know Perm. Perm's a good guy. He <laughs> talked to me and Perm for, like, an hour, and we were just shooting the shit, talking about music. We kind of, you know, we're just giving him that drop jaw, like, I want to suck your dick look, and blah, blah, blah. But he told a funny story. Because I was just like, so, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how big is Joey DeMaio's ego? And he just kind of rolls his eyes and just throws his head back and talks about how a f- uh, year or two prior they had, like, a big, like, reunion show. In- it was probably at Vakken, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but where they, uh, all the former members of Manowar got on stage and he <laughs> said the whole crowd was just chanting, Ross the Boss! Ross the Boss! Ross the Boss! And DeMaio just got pissed off and just wasn't having it but yeah fuck him and his oil he he he, he likes to tan no oh, of course work out yeah oh yeah look, i mean google image search him and i think the first thing is him laying like half naked on a motorcycle yeah but anyway basically uh honorable mention for a movie conan the barbarian it gave a look at i mean that probably helped a lot with the development of power metal as well oh absolutely and i mean like the you know the the poster for that kind of became, you know, that's the artwork for the heavy metal series of magazines and then the, the heavy metal movie. Exactly. So, yeah, it all it all goes back to Barbarians and yeah. Swords. All right, so uh, those are all my models. Did you want to go with your pick first for 82? Uh, yeah, we to? can. And uh, just, just to mention a couple of huge albums that came out in 82, this is Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast, Motorhead's Iron Fist, Judas Priest Screaming for Vengeance. So you know, i got to say Iron Fist as far as Motorhead goes, that's... Or wait, maybe I'm think I actually maybe it's more so another perfect day, but Motorhead kind of took like a more well, a little bit of a poppier route from there yeah, on. Well, but I, I it think, doesn't matter because they had already released. I think that was the result of trying to follow up Ace of Spades. Yeah, because that's which, that's the first album after Ace of Spades. That's gonna be is well, the, hell, follow up Overkill, Bomber, and Ace of Spades. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's gonna be hard. But uh, all right, so for my 1982, um, gonna be another band that is technically classified as new album, but considered pioneers of the doom genre and if we talk about Witchfinder general not really getting their credit for what they did to to heavy music going forward this band gets no fucking credit i, I the like fact, them already the, the fact that somebody finally put them on the wikipedia page for doom metal is probably the biggest credit in their hat that they have but uh this is pagan altar formed in 78 in broccoli england and along with Witchfinder general considered to be the new album side of the pioneers of doom during their initial run from 78 to 82, the only recorded material that they put out was a self-released cassette that would eventually be remastered and renamed Volume 1 in 1998. So, 16 oh, one years of those. later. Yeah, 16 years later. They reformed in 2004 to re-record some songs that didn't make it onto the Volume 1 cassette that they put out and kind of spurred their popularity along again, but... Sadly, last year, their vocalist, Terry Jones, passed away from cancer before they could finish recording their most recent record, so probably never going to hear I that. I didn't know another guy from Monty Python had died. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this is this is Black Mass by Pagan Altar. To talk about the occult, like, th- th- this is where Doom was was coming from. This, this, this song is everything that Doom would be one year from now. It's just not called Doom. This is Pagan Altar Black Mass. Nominate, die nostri, 
Ferret Assassin. Shem Ham for Ash. Part in the chorus coming up after that, I, I didn't want to play, you know, too long of a clip, but Venom started it in 1981 and Pagan Alter sang about it in 1982. Coming up in that, he says, this is the age, the age of Satan. Ah. The seven seal's been opened. Yeah. But, uh, and it's got really slow guitars in it. So that, and, and again, like, Witchfinder General was the slower end of some blues riffing. Pagan Alter slowed it down even more, yeah, and going yeah. forward, we're just going to get slower. Yeah, yeah so you can tell just, <laughs> it's kind of funny how we started with, you know, my 80 and 81 picks, how it's like, this was really fast, and this got a little faster, <laughs> and then that, it was literally, this got really slow, oh, yeah. and then it got a little slower, and wow. Well, I mean, we, we, I, I, we were kind of joking around about it before we started recording, but you're starting with a song where we're going to play the whole thing because it's a minute long, and the last song I'm going to play is nine minutes long. So uh, that's, I have a, that's, I have a that's funny, the branching of the metal tree. I have a funny story to tell later about a nine-minute song as well. <laughs> All right, so my 82. All right, we got Discharge versus Venom again. Uh-oh. Because I don't know. This is a tough one because, uh, well, I'll start with uh, Discharge. But uh, they released their debut full-length LP, Hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing, that was released in May of 82. Went to number two on the UK independent chart. And it uh, peaked at number forty in the national chart, so people people knew about this. Yeah, you know, I mean, you heard it, and like I said, this one, what we heard on Realities of War in '80 was very raw. This one actually has some production quality to it, and just the sound of it. I mean, it starts off, and it it, it sounds like bombs going off, and <laughs> or you know, it just sirens, but not sirens. And you know what? We're just gonna listen to a little bit off the. Guess what? The opening track, the self-titled track, Hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing. Just listen to this song real quick. Just to, after hearing Realities of War and then what they and just evolved to. to. To to talk about your point about you know, sounding like bombs and all this stuff, these bands from England that are forming and putting out music around now are the children of people who survived the Blitzkrieg. Battle of Britain, yeah. So, like, you know, th- th- this, is, this is the... They grew up with their parents talking about this stuff. So this is, I mean, it's always in their head. And in the Cold War, like... This this island knows what comes. Exactly. It's like this could happen any moment. But just just to give you an idea of the atmosphere, just listen.
holy fuck. <laughs> like, you really think the apocalypse is coming. But I, I tell you, yeah. I would have liked it a lot more if they would have just held that first note a lot longer. <laughs> you know, you know what? I bet if you were to take a, you know, if you were to get a real musician and take some discharge songs and just slow them down about ninety percent of the tempo, they would probably make some awesome doom songs. So maybe we should start talking to some people we know who play yeah. instruments. <laughs> hey, we just record this so we can listen to yeah, it. Kevin, figure this out and slow it down by half. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, another good example off that, uh, my favorite title of a song off that album is, uh, question and children answer and children. And I think, you know, contextually, you know what that means is just the sense of like, will children be killed in the nuclear Holocaust too? And it's like, yeah, yes. them too. But, uh, real quick, get under your desk, kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just want to give you this. These are the entire lyrics from the song. Q and children, A and children, and it's in agony they cry and scream, and children and children, and children and children, skin peeled hanging in strips, and children and children, and children and children, and he just repeats that throughout the whole song, but my point with that is, you look at, I mean, like I said, contextually, we know what they're singing about, they're singing about the horrors of a nuclear holocaust, or war, Armageddon, but still, you look at those lyrics, and it's like, those lyrics are proto-death metal, in a sense. Oh, yeah. I mean... Skin peeled, hanging in strips, and they're talking about children. That, that's probably the name of a cannibal corpse. It, it, I was about to say, that's got to be mentioned somewhere in Cannibal Corpse. Uh, but like I said, I just wanted to really talk about that. I think that is also, as far as their debut LP goes, you know, it great album and just very influential to everything that would come after that. Now that I'm thinking about it, that probably is, like that kind of that, that kind of lyrical content is probably what, truly inspired the, another English band who are the pioneers of death metal, Carcass. Ah, because the, oh, yeah. the, the, until until Carcass decided to invent melodic death metal, they were just like a straight-ahead read-from-a-medical-textbook band. I mean, like go on YouTube and look up Rika Putrefaction. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, um, but um, I was going to say, because they, they also had pacifistic tendencies. Yep. I believe they're vegetarians. Yes, they are. Yep. So yeah, it was just once that, again. That's why they were singing about rotting. Yeah, it's once meat. again, it's using the imagery of something you're against, but still to get people to go like, "Hey, what's that?" You yeah, know, um, it's visceral. Oh, uh, what what is the name of that uh, that vegan grindcore band? Uh, Cattle decapitation. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, all right. But anyway, so that being said, my pick for 1982 though ultimately comes down. We got to do a repeat of '81 because you gotta you gotta respect something that names the subgenre. Yeah. And this song, what are, what are my stats on this song? Song it was released in November of '82. It, uh, as far as I know, coined the term black metal, unless we're talking about Holy Moses with yep. their black metal masters song. But, uh, this but I mean, is, if you, if you couldn't find it now in the internet age, how how was Kronos getting his hands on that? Yeah, well, it was probably a lot easier to come by in '81. I don't know. Did you say they're from Germany? They probably didn't put out too many copies. Damn, good point. <laughs> I don't know. Well, anyway, from 1982, here's my pick for the heaviest song in the world. Guess what? It's the opening track off the album of the same tame, same name. This is Black Metal. Great song. <laughs> Let's go. 
Go on, kiddies. Lay down your soul to the gods rock and roll. I mean, what can I say about that one? Like I said, named a genre which, although it wouldn't come into prominence till years later, of course, it kind of like got the ball rolling for people. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Is categorizing different kinds of metal. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you said something in uh in I think the second episode or maybe it was the third episode of this podcast where punk kind of invented the subgenre. And then metal fucking ran with it. They're just like, all right, we'll, we'll just subgenre every single thing. Oh, this chord is slightly different. You're a different genre. Well, I, and funny you should mention that because I, I recently watched this uh, video of Venom's set. Uh, it was live from Hellfest, Hellfest of June of last year. And uh, damn, they're still playing. Yeah, they well, they're doing their uh, black metal was part of their encore. Uh, and so towards the end of the song, France man, Hellfest. towards the end of the song, you know, they're just kind of. It's not really going the same structure of the song as on the album, and he's just kind of doing the chorus and getting the whole crowd to say, lay down your soul, the gods rock and roll. And then they just kind of just start playing the main riff again, and he just goes, black metal, power metal, <laughs> thrash metal. He gets it. Speed metal. Hold on, I'm not done. He goes, <laughs> death metal. This is the funniest one. He goes, Slay a metal. What a dick. And then he just goes, black metal. And at that point, he kind of just smiles and looks at the crowd and starts nodding. And it's like, yeah, everything I just said, it's because of us. Yeah. And yeah, call him cocky. But yeah, he's fucking right. And I, that, that was an awesome scene. I'm glad, I'm glad I caught that before this episode because just to see him do it and be I'll like. Check that out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's we can watch it after this. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on to eighty-three. On to eighty-three. All right, let's see. Uh, let's let's see some big eighty-three stuff we got going on here. Uh, bands that were mentioned already: DRI. This is their uh, "Dirty Rotten" EP came out this year. Iron Maiden's "Peace of Mind." Dio's "Holy Diver." Mm, by many considered to be the mes- best metal album of nineteen eighty-three. <laughs> <laughs> I said um, by many. Yeah. Uh, you you mentioned how surprising it is that Pantera formed as early as they did. A lot of people don't know that Pantera had two albums before Cowboys from Hell. A lot of people don't know that they had this album especially. Metalheads seem to know Power Metal, which is their 86 release, yeah. I think. Metal Magic is 83. That's before and Anselmo, crazier. right? It's before Anselmo. And it's even crazier. Diamond Daryl. Uh, well, he was Diamond Daryl until Vulgar Display. Yeah. And uh, so, but this this is your, you've, you've got a trio of huge debut records. You've got Metallica's Kill 'Em All. Yeah, you got you Slayer's Show No Mercy, and you've got somewhat forgotten nowadays, but the self-titled debut of Suicidal Tendencies. Ah, yeah. Another I, big in the crossover scene. Definitely, and I mean, you see how playing in how far playing in Suicidal Tendencies can get you yeah. these days, especially if a band wants to be like, "Hey, remember our punk days? Let's get this guy in to be cool <laughs> with the punks." Uh, I was just going to mention some bands formed in 1983. At uh, like I said. Some most of these bands not releases for years, but they at least formed in '83. We got Mayhem, God knows what version of them. Uh, Megadeth, 
Huh. I wonder why they formed in 1983. <laughs> uh, Bathory, Death, Halloween, Vader, um, Bon Jovi, Striper. They both formed in 83, too. And like you just said, yeah. Uh, 83, though. Yeah. You know what happened in 83, though? <laughs> Discharge starts to suck. <laughs> well, I mean. It, it was a quick run you, for them. You, A lot of the bands of that era had a quick run. Well, you yeah. Can't, I mean, obviously. But the sad Especially part- with their, with, when their music comes from, like, such venom and, and fury, <laughs> and they gonna, discharge it yeah, in such gonna, a manner. You're gonna burn. You're gonna burn out quick sometimes. Well, what happened? But their problem was is they became more. They changed from the punk uh, just outlook to more of a metal outlook. And by doing that, they just ruined their music. Whereas I feel like if they had just stopped spiking their hair and grown it long, like and just played the same music, yeah. nobody would have noticed the damn thing. Except maybe some metal guys would be like. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, so, uh, another band that that happened to around this period and we'll talk about it later with one of the bands I'm going to play but this is when Black Flag started to get a little more metallic uh, and a lot of their hardcore fans started to turn on them well, yeah so if you ever want to check out uh, their EP Discharge is a uh, warning Her Majesty's Government can seriously damage your health um, listen to it then throw it away <laughs> actually pirate it just don't don't pay money for that uh, also uh, released in December of 83, uh, the last uh, release from the Misfits, or at least while they were still a band, Earth AD, okay. which is a very, it's pretty much a crossover album, too. It's definitely got a lot. It's their most metal album. Once again, kind of proto-death metal lyrics. Check out the song Blood Feast. You know, but I mean, the Misfits always kind of had that imagery, which probably had a lot to do with setting up the pace for where Venom would follow yeah. through, where it's like you just have horror and violence before. And it's like, let's take it a step further with Satan. Not that the Misfits didn't sing about Satan, too, but they're a punk band, so, like always, they're not as famous. Uh, let's see, also released uh, Exciter, the the Canadian speed metal pioneers, apparently, who supposedly... Named after a priest song. Yeah, from yeah from the 1978 album, uh, what, what is that, is that Stained Seven, Class? Stained Class, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they were Canadian, um... Band since '78 didn't release their uh, debut till '83. First song, opening song, really good. Stand up and fight. Well, they have an intro song called Holocaust too, and the rest of the album is just really cheesy and Canadian. Just garbage. It's just it's really Canadian. I don't know how else to put that. Just listen to it. It just uh, sounds like Exciter and gravy on fries. Heavy metal maniac. Yeah, it's just uh, uh, also a debut. Uh, Poison Idea, Pick Your King EP. I don't think uh, I've ever listened to them. That uh, well, definitely, just more great crossover stuff. Okay. Just thrash metalcore. I don't know. I mean, let me try to apply as many subgenres to them. But uh, great EP. It said "Pick Your King," and it had uh, Jesus on the front and Elvis on the back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, one thing I do want to mention too, because I think this applies just as far as punk and crossover with metal, and even what you're bringing to it with uh, the doom factor too, is. Um, a very important album to me um, by a band called The Blood. I don't know if we've ever talked about not, The Blood. Never um, in 1983, they released their full-length debut, uh, False Gestures for a Devious Public. And the thing about this album is is they had a few singles on top of it, too. And in my youth, I had heard them. And it's just the first song was uh, Megalomania, which I think you've heard before. But uh, you'd know it if you heard it. But anyway, it was just a great song, and it's like, I want to hear more. And so there was a time in my life where I would be, you know, looking through punk compilations, and if it had a blood song on it, I would buy it, because this album... Is that the same Megalomania that Slob used to cover? Yes. Okay. Um, 
because this album it was not it wasn't repressed on CD. It was just an album, you know, throughout all of the ninety. It might have been pressed on CD like in nineteen ninety, but yeah. still, it was just as impossible to find. And so, throughout the late nineties and early two thousands, there there it just didn't exist other than in its original LP form. So it was finally released by Captain Oi Records in two thousand five. Which for all you punk rockers out there who wanna you know get your catalogs of what was hot captain oi probably has it and has re-released it so this is kind of like how you know for you with uh sleep recording dope smoker mm-hmm. in 93 and then having the problems with the record company yep. and how it didn't finally get released till 2000 or 2001 this is my dope smoker okay because i had to wait or you know probably a good seven years before I heard a blood full length album after Damn. like I said on the compilations I'd get I'd hear some singles and then I finally get the album I had never heard a song that was a, a track on the album and nice. it's just is, all great awesome. and then like I said they're like a punk crossover very anti-catholic very heavy on drinking but they also have a very doom and gloom and kind of 80s feel about them and it's just anyone who likes heavy music of any sort should check it out just the blood false gestures for a devious public I can't express in words enough. Like just uh, the guitar player JJ Pedsor, <laughs> who sadly died in I think 2007 because um, of years of drinking. Yeah. Uh, but he's actually uh, miles beyond any other punk guitar players at the time. But uh, yeah, uh, do you want to hear my pick first, sure. or do you want to go? Uh, my pick, like I said, everybody's just trying to outdo each other at this point. So I just kind of pick something that. Probably sounds a lot like a lot of the other shit that yeah. is coming out. I mean, of course, you got to throw credit to Kill 'Em All, Metallica's debut, just because every song on that is a burner, and you know, all killer, no filler. But uh, that was released in July. But this album came out in '83, from the same area, the Bay Area. Everybody knows this band. What the hell? I'll throw them a bone, even though we might revisit them in 1985 for obvious reasons. This is Slayer. Their opening track off. Show no mercy, evil has no boundaries. Unforgiving. Back when Carrie King had hair. <laughs> we try not to remember those days. As <laughs> I recall, it kind of looked like, uh, oh, ah, shit. What, what was the the head, jo- not the head jock in Revenge of the Nerds, but, uh, you know, had that wavy kind of oh, perm uh, look no. to it. <laughs> the guy who was in Bloodsport. Ogre. Ogre, yes, yeah. yeah. It was like a longer version of Ogre's hair. 
But uh, yeah, like I said, unforgiving. It's nonstop. It's a punch in the throat yeah. of a song. And I gotta say, you know, like I said, it was released a few months later than Kill 'Em All. And then, surprisingly enough, the production quality on that album is a lot better. Oh yeah, which I think kind of adds to it because if you have, you know, of course, we talked about earlier how poor production quality is important can, to yeah, some it can, heaviness. It can lead to a lot of great grind. At the same time, with a song like that, that is, I guess you would say, as full yeah. as that song. Better production quality helps because it's just it's throwing it at you oh, more. Yeah, you, you you could tell they did more than one take on those guitars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and but and uh, I mean, Araya's voice. I don't know how he kept it so pristine over the years. It's starting to fail him now, but I mean, I mean, yeah, just I mean, that's still it. That, you listen, that sounds like a Slayer release yeah. from seven years ago. You know, I mean, I don't know. Like, off the top of my head, <laughs> if they released one seven years ago, I'm sorry. sure they have. I don't want to piss all, off any Slayer they're, they're, fans. I, yeah, I know they do it, but yeah. But I mean, like I said, still doing that same thing to this day. And yeah, like you said about Herrera's voice is just... Oh, it, I mean, it, it, it cuts through like that. It's not it's not high-pitched in the way that some, like, new album is described sometimes. It's not as, like, Air raid siren. Yeah. It, but, but it's still like, it's it's just got, it's got that, like, broken glass edge that cuts through that guitar. Well, it's still with the bark and yeah. the growl about it. Yeah, too, it's really so. great, though. And just once again, you know, continuing that tradition of, hey, we can just start shouting shit in songs <laughs> now as opposed to actually singing, but the motherfucker can still hold the note. Yep. And a needle. Hey, oh! Well, uh,. Let's go the other end of the spectrum. Hold on, can I say one more thing yeah, about sure. Slayer? It's one of the things I love about Slayer is over the years, it's so obvious Tom Herrera is a heroin addict, <laughs> has overdoses all the time, but it's like they never kick him out. It's just like, yeah, we're, we're fucking Slayer. Yeah. You, can, you can do heroin in Slayer, and it's just like, yeah, fuck right, you can. Yeah, yeah and I love him for it. Don't do heroin. <laughs> Unless you really want to and can afford yeah. it. But uh, like, like I said, on the other end of the spectrum of metal, so, let's let's slow it way. So how many beats down. per minute are we go into down to seven? Twenty five. Oh, go seven. Jesus. So we the last two bands that I played, Witchfinder General and Pagan Altar, are considered Nuwabam bands who pioneered the doom sound. This band and the next band I'm going to play are considered the first true. Doom bands. They carry the genre yeah. title. The, these, the, this is where Doom got its start. These, the, the, the next, these next two bands are two American bands. This one is from 1983. This, their first album wouldn't come out until the next year, but this is the single that was released on the Metal Massacre 4 compilation. This is the band Trouble with the song Last Judgment. They were formed in Aurora, Illinois in 1979 and originally marketed as white metal as opposed to Venom's black metal. Because Trouble is very pro-Catholic. Oh, so they they're have, like Black Sabbath. They, they have openly pro-Bible lyrics, which is why I don't give a fuck about lyrics, because this shit is heavy as hell. And as Remember, fact, I mentioned Striper form we, this year, we, too. We talked about it earlier, how some of these bands I'm going to play could probably do with removing their vocalist, and they would be better. I kind of hate the lead singer of Trouble. I don't blame you. But they they only put out two records with their original lineup. They had a ton of lineup changes. The the trouble that is still currently touring and recording is just the two guitar players. There's another band called The Skull, which took their name from Trouble's second record, and that is the lead singer and original drummer. So this it's is kind of funny. It's like yeah, a lot of bands, metal bands especially, like we'll start a band after the name of the song and name it after yeah. the name of a song from another band, and it's like. 
Well, no, I, I was in this band, so we're just gonna borrow this song title, yeah. and you know. But uh, so so this is 1983. This is Trouble with the Last Judgment. me it's harder to headbang slow than it is fast <laughs> you have a good point you know it's funny what you said earlier because i'm listening to it and i was like yeah this is pretty much is you know you're obviously more well versed but i was like yeah this is what doom sounds like and then that idiot started fucking singing <laughs> and it sounds like he wanted to get down on his knees and start serving the lord yeah but yeah but then he immediately stopped singing luckily and then that little boom. Yeah, I need to, I need to download I like, like yes, some kind that of like, is doom. I need to get some kind of like Pro Tool software and just remove his vocal track from from the albums I have of them. Yeah, he just totally throws yeah. off whatever that, kind that's of why, vibe they're trying to create. That, that's why if you want to continue listening to Trouble, listen to Trouble, which is just the two guitar players. Don't Naturally. listen to the skull because it's that guy. Ooh. All right, so remember that, kids. Stay away from the skull. Yeah. Unless it's Dan Aykroyd's vodka. All right, so so for, uh, now th- we we came to some consensus in the first three years, but as heavy as Slayer is, I'm not I'm not giving you Slayer. Over you know, I was about to say I'll take that just because uh, the the monumentalness of it yeah. of just the fact is if the other two you had mentioned laid the groundwork that picked it up and ran with it man. exactly it, it, it <laughs> picked it up it. and ran real slow with it yeah <laughs> picked it up and moseyed had a gate yeah. <laughs> with it. All right, so 1984. Oh, by the way, honorable mention, 1983, Return of the Jedi is released. <laughs> Dude, what's more black metal than the Emperor? Uh, fair. And Darth Vader. And Luke's outfit. And Lando Calrissian. Also the year of my birth, so oh, well, good year all around. All right, so 1984. Let's start off. Some bands formed in 84. Candlemass. Yep. Uh, Nuclear Assault. What, that guy, he was kicked out of another band. What was it? Ah, forget it. Uh, Sepultura. Uh, Blind Guardian as Lucifer's Heritage, and uh, from the remains of Hellhammer, Celtic Frost. Uh, Do we yeah. say Celtic? I always called him Celtic Frost. Is it Celtic? You know I what? Have no idea. The, the, as far as I know, the only time it's you say Celtic is the Boston Celtics. Oh yeah, I was about to say. I think Celtic Frost is what uh, a groupie has on her belly after <laughs> Robert Parrish is done with her. Couldn't have gone or, Bird or or, uh, or Larry Bird's mustache after there eating a donut. Go. There you go. All right. <laughs> Here's a funny little thing. So, 84. I just want to mention this is one of my honorables, I guess. Uh, Venom released their uh, At War with Satan, 
which uh, side A of that album was a 20-minute epic track, but not really, because it's just a 20-minute track, That's all. but it's like five or six different songs. Oh, they just all, didn't cut it up? Yeah, well, it's not, because the second half, of course, is all separate songs, but I'm just saying there isn't really like a cohesive pattern of the song. Mm. It just goes through all these changes and never all really... The, all re- these like orchestral movements, not which even. would normally just, just be called songs? Like, it just sounds like a couple of Venom songs, and some are a little slower than usual. <laughs> I don't know, check it out. But um, one thing from side two, I wanted to mention some lyrics from the song Stand Up and Be Counted. It's, uh, we are the tyrants, messengers of Satan. We pledge you all, raise your hands. This is a solstice. Hail legions arise. We'll raise the roof. Touch the skies. Did Venom fucking originate the phrase raise the roof? Well, they, they sure did now. I mean, I, I'm just saying, I, I don't remember hearing that prior to 1995. Uh... I mean, probably, maybe, maybe probably, kid and play. No, probably Parliament Funkadelic because uh, tear the roof off the mother, raise the roof off. All right, you ra- like yeah, you raise a good point. I, I don't know. I just wanted to mention that just to the thought. Like, did Venom <laughs> fucking coin the phrase <laughs> "raise the roof"? Would have been great. Uh, a couple of debut albums we got uh, from the uh, Big Teutonic Four. We got Destruction, Sentence to Death, great album. There, there's a guy that kind of that. That's a good example of like you look at the album cover and it's just three guys in fucking leather with giant spiked hair and spikes, and you're just like, this album better be fucking good, <laughs> and it is. Uh, Disorder, another English uh, hardcore punk band under Scalpel Blade. Um, I probably would have put this as my '84 pick, but it's just such a shitty album. Yeah. But um, they really, they they. I mean, I know they use a chainsaw and a drill in a couple songs, but uh, well, like yeah. Jackal. <laughs> They wish they were Jackal. Ain't no Jesse James Dupree. Uh, yeah, give it a listen, though, if you're uh, feeling sorry for yourself. And, of course, the, the, de- first, the first black metal record. The debut of Scandinavian black metal, yep. Bathory, Bathory. And, you know, it's unfortunate. We, we always talk about how it's kind of a bummer when the touring band is no lo- has, like no longer has any original members. And there can never be another Bathory tour. Because he was one guy. It, it was just Quarthon, and he passed away in, like, 2008, I want to say, 2007, yeah, so. something like that. Uh, I think they, they said he played live twice with some just some hired-hand studio musicians and hated it and refused to ever do it again. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. So, yeah, so, sometime in, like, 85, a couple of people got to see Bathory live. Well... In its defense and his choice, like it probably wasn't that good. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely something you just want to hear pops and skips on a record as opposed to Yeah, but then, you know, a few years later when they switched from Scandinavian black metal into forging what would become known as Viking, Viking. metal with Bloodfire Death, I mean, that shit is awesome. Hand oh hard. yeah, oh yeah. I mean I'm so they never even played live songs after the Viking metal nope. days. Wow. Live songs, live sets <laughs> I mean. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, from Sweden, though, not Norway, which it's kind of like, oh, they're from Sweden, because, you know, <laughs> it's always feel like Norway, that's where the black metal is, and then it's like, Sweden, uh, they're all blonde there. Um, this was the well, debut was year blonde. for, uh, cor- uh, you, they formed a few years earlier, but this is the debut record for Corrosion of Conformity. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, this is Rod the Lightning, my favorite Metallica record. I think it's a lot of people's. I, it's probably my favorite as well, too. I And you know what? Cthulhu was also almost my pick for this, yeah. just because I was, but I, I was more just trying to impress you by like, look at this slow song I picked. And uh, and it's not that heavy. Though. A band that's kind of more known for the ridiculous nature of their lyrics, but this was the debut of Running Wild, 
and then a couple years later they would become the pirate world's preeminent metal. pirate metal band. Which, what a feather in your cap, right? If I do say so myself. Like, how did you not beat some, or how did somebody not beat you to that? You know, yes. I figured there would have been a pirate metal band in Charleston, South Carolina, in the 1600s. Apparently, and now this is the you know more than likely apocryphal, but. I heard a story once of there was a pirate-themed hardcore band in, like, the New York area in the 90s, and they were so pirate-themed that they would attend shows and jump on stage while another band was setting up their equipment and pirate their equipment to play. That was their gimmick. Oh, so you mean, like, they'd pull the Corsair up to the galleon? Yeah, their gimmick was, we're pirating your show. Lay it down, pull the ropes over, fire all cannons? Wow. So I, I, I can never find anything other than, you know, just a few people telling stories about this band. But if, if you know if you know anything, let us know. Also, um, a progenitor in the uh, pirate metal scene was Roberto Clemente in college. <laughs> Rest in peace. Because they have to use metal bats. Ah, that was terrible. All right, so who wants to go first for um, their I, pick I, for 1980? Like I've to... kind of run out of things to say just about the situation because yeah. I've kind of made my point. Discharge, we know what they did. Venom took it a step higher. We see what that did. And then for this, the 84 and 83, it was, like I said, basically everybody just trying to yeah. outdo each other. Oh, but 84, as we've talked about earlier, uh, coining of the term thrash, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, for uh, metal thrashing, mad by Anthrax. Yeah, from uh, it was, a review oh, Kerrang. Krang. Yeah, yeah. I forget who the writer was. I'm but, guessing uh, some English guy. I, for my 1984, I actually want you to do me a favor and play my 1983 again for about five seconds. Just from any point in the song. Just, just right at the beginning. Just, just right. play the beginning of '83 again for about five seconds. Now, uh, my 1984, this is another band alongside Trouble, considered the first Doom bands. This is St. Vitus from L.A. The Tritone. Formed in 1979. Uh, Wino would join St. Vitus after their first two records. But, All right, yeah, no Tritone explanation. But, but yeah, that is, that is Wino. Um, this is the band, we, we mentioned earlier how Black Flag sort of got more metal and their fans kind of turned on them. This is the band that is sort of known for causing that because their first album came out on SST and they record they they toured extensively with Black Flag, so they're kind of at fault for slowing Black Flag oh, down, like, chunking them up. Hey Henry, listen to this song. Yeah, and uh, they disbanded and got back together several times, but uh, their last album came out in 2012, so they're still putting stuff out with with technically they call it their classic lineup, even though it's not their original lineup because the classic lineup is the one with Wino. But this is Saint Vitus with Burial at Sea off their self-titled. And now remember that five seconds we just played? Play this.
Nah, jump ahead in the song a little bit. All right. This is the nine minute track, so I had to, I had to cut some pieces together. But sometimes Doom can get a little fast. The symbol crashes. That was very diverse when you look at it like yeah. that. I enjoyed that. I'm going to have to check out some more St. Vitus. I'm not too familiar with them. Yep, St. Vitus, self-titled debuted, 1984. All right, my pick for 1984. Oh, real quick, as you said that was a nine-minute song, I said earlier I had a story to tell about a nine-minute song. As I mentioned earlier from The Blood, uh, the band, I was talking about who their most well-known song was a song called Megalomania, very anti-papal song. Mm-hmm. It's basically talking shit to the Pope the whole time. But anyway, like you mentioned earlier, my band in high school used to cover it. And another band we played with from out of town on a regular basis, one time they were like, do you know that Megalomania is a, is a Black Sabbath cover? And me and Perm are just like, what? So this is like 1999 or two, 2000 probably. <laughs> so we go and download you know, on Napster. So about an hour and a half later, finally get <laughs> this, this Black Sabbath song, Megalomania. We're like, this song is nine minutes long. And slow as shit. None of the, like, wait. And it was just like, wait, no, what the fuck is he telling? This is not the song. Yeah. And we just kind of realized that. And it for a second, it was like, maybe it was. And they just really sped it up. And then it was like, wait, no, there's no fucking way. But that was kind of funny. So, sometimes cover is a very loose definition. Uh, the, the, that band Sun, speaking of black metal, they have a cover of Immortals, Cursed Realm of the Winter Demons, which is literally just the lyrics from Cursed Realm of the Winter Demons sung over a completely different song. Well, why the hell not? Um, all right, so my pick for 1984 from a band, like I mentioned earlier, that were formed in 1983. Um, this is actually kind of cheating because this is not off a debut album. This is a demo. But, like I said earlier, for my 1982 pick, I have a soft spot ah, soft spot for genre-inspiring tracks. So, uh, formed by vocalist uh, Jeff Becerra in the Bay Area, like I said, in 1983. I'm just going to go straight into it. This is Possessed with Death Metal. So yeah, I mean it. It sounds like a Venom song sped up uh, half, half a beat faster, but still. Inspiration for uh, the the Florida band Death. Exactly. So. Yeah, which I think that was a great song to end this episode on, too, because now next episode we can look forward to arguing about who was the first death metal band. <laughs> because, you know, like we said earlier, Venom might have named the genre black metal, but are they the first black yeah. metal band? Possessed had the song Death Metal and gave it some imagery and a theme and a common concept, but were they, in fact, the first death metal band? Yeah. Tune in next week <laughs> for fucking Batman and Slobbin'.
But uh, yeah, that's just my pick. Just like I said, I got a soft spot, and I mean, obviously, it's a pretty fucking yeah, it's heavy a, that's song. A great song. It is a good song. I like the drums at the open because they're very a little tribal kind of sound, and so that always brings you back to the esoteric and the mysterious and the jungle lands, the dark continent. But uh, yeah, so uh, those are my picks. Um, what do you want to pick for eighty four? Who wins? Me? I I I, I guess I'd go for you with Vitus just because. That is definitely, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, speaks volumes and it ain't light, so it must be heavy. Yeah, but, but I mean, uh, then again, I think it's called I, death metal. I think for for pure heaviness, I also agree. I think "Same Bite" is probably the heaviest song that we played today. But "Discharge" is probably the most influential band that was played today because they spawned so much going forward. Thank you. The bands they influenced influenced other bands yeah and like i said they know about them but maybe all their fans don't so go out there buy yourself get fucking hear nothing see nothing say or just you know get a singles collection yeah. i mean with any punk band just buy the singles collection and their first lp and usually you're good to go because usually especially from that era everything else is crap after that all right so anything else you want to say no, just uh, you know, keep tuning in next week. Subscribe on iTunes. We're on iTunes now. Um, comment, uh, leave reviews. That's how we get bumped up in the algorithm, and people will actually start getting to hear this. By thing. the way, you got you got to set up an email just for nothing more than the fact that I want to have a mail reading section, so we can call it chain mail. <laughs> okay, uh, hey, th- we'll start the next. The episode only reason I want it. Well, uh, actually, you know, I'll, I'll start. I'll set the email up tonight, and we'll post it on the Facebook, the Instagram. All right. Well, it's been fun. I had a blast. This has definitely been my favorite episode oh, so absolutely. far. Oh, absolutely. I hope so. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed. Actually, I don't give a shit because I did. <laughs> it's not like we're making money off of this. Uh, tune in next week for or whenever the fuck we put it out for 85 to 89 when extreme metal really does turn yep. into extreme metal. And, well, I'm sure Ryan's going to have us listen to Beethoven or something <laughs> that a lost copy rediscovered in 87. But uh, I figure here we go. So. To end you, say goodbye. We're going to leave you with uh, from Bathory's 84 debut album and Conspiracy with Satan. All right, have a hell of a night and day.